What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. 2022 is fast coming to a close, and we're finally getting caught up, getting some amazing episodes out to you before the clock strikes midnight on Saturday night. Today's episode is killer. We've got Robert Jordan on the program. And if you don't know Robert, get ready because this conversation is fab. Robert is the best-selling author, speaker, and all-around talent development dude. He's written three books, and we're going to cover his latest, Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company. We'll touch on the four leadership styles mentioned in the book, Fixer, Artist, Builder, and Strategist. What are they? How do they work? And how do you figure out your own style? He's an awesome person. This conversation was a blast, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Robert Jordan on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. It is your favorite day and mine. It's Wednesday. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 9th of November 2022, episode number 150. We have done this 149 other times, and this will be our last show before Thanksgiving. We, uh, we've got a client gig next week in Arizona. Ruby and I will be down in Tucson for the week, and then it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving week, and we're going to lay low and chill. And uh, we'll be back on the the 30th of November, we've got some upcoming guests. Thais Gibson will be with us on the 30th of November. She's the author of a book called Attachment Theory, a guide to strengthening the relationships in your life. I'm really looking forward to that one because, as you all know, relationships are near and dear to our hearts here at the Bartender and at Sky Team. We have some science getting dropped here on the 14th of December Dr. Carla Fowler, MD, PhD. She has a scientific approach to what she calls performance science. I'm looking forward to digging in on that. And our first show in 2023, we have Dr. Corey Rosen on the 18th of January. He's the author of a book called Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What? He has some really cool thoughts and ideas about employee ownership and I thought, you know, for all of our HR folks who are chief people this or chief human that, um, some interesting ideas to bring to the, what are we going to do with our long-term incentive and equity programs um, that's a little bit different from the competition. So looking forward to that. Um, have a few other guests up our sleeve coming up for Q1. We'll get those to you as soon as we have dates. As you all know, you heard us talking about it at the beginning. I'm going to keep asking because I'm a pain in the ass. If you don't have your copy of You, Me, We, please get on that. Get your copy. Get a copy for a friend. Get a copy for your team. They make fantastic holiday gifts. And if keep you do asking because I keep ha- hassling him to keep asking too. <laughs> so I'll take culpable negligence. And if you do have one, if you don't mind popping over to Amazon and at least clicking the stars, if not writing a little uh, review, that would be awesome because 
for some reason that impacts how we show up in Amazon and where we end up on lists and things. And, you know, who doesn't love following that? Oh, Laurel Dinson. My copy has sand in it. Yay. I was going to say, I thought you were still on the beach, sister. No, I am. Colorado's a beach some days, but not today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to see you. You look fresh and recharged from your (laughs) beach vacation. That's fantastic. And Laurel, you did write an Amazon review, I think. I and did. they actually published it. <laughs> I put in all the F words in my review that they edited out of the book. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Laurel, Laurel said she has a feeling that I was severely edited in my contributions to the book because there wasn't nearly enough F-bombs I dropped. did not find F-bombs distributed, and I know you too well. Well, what the fuck, Laurel? I mean, come on. Fucking fuck. <laughs> uh, today's going to be today's going to be fun. We've got a guest. Robert Jordan is here. He is the CEO of Interim Execs. They match top executives with companies around the world. He is the author. He and Olivia Wagner wrote a new book called Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. And, you know, very similarly to me, Morag and Ruby, we wrote a book about leadership and have an assessment. He's got an assessment coming out that uh, will help you determine your leadership style. We'll talk a little bit about that assessment and uh, what that what that means, what the style types are, and, and how do you get started with that. He's also also been the author of How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. And he helped publish a book called Start With No, Jim Camp's bestseller on negotiation. So let's give Robert a big TCB welcome, shall we? I love that even Mark Russell knows. Best intro ever. (laughs) Best intro ever. That's just, you know. We try to keep it light here at the bartender. Thanks for, for for being with us today, Robert. It's good to see you. Thank you, Eric and Lori and Ruby. And wait a minute, I keep going. Laurel and Mark, <laughs> Morag. Like, it's like romper Great room. To be with y'all. <laughs> awesome. Well, we always start off with a little uh, news item. And I always try to pick news items that are relevant to our guest's area of expertise. Uh, today's news item is from HBR and it's called how to develop your leadership style, which I thought that's interesting. And then it says concrete advice for a squishy challenge. Um, And, you know, I think we've all been in that position where we've either given this advice or we've received this advice as part of our performance review process or just our coaching check-ins with our bosses as we came up in our careers. You know, sometimes we get that comment like, you know, Eric, you need to increase your executive presence. You don't have enough gravitas. Uh, You need certain important intangibles. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, how does that help? I don't know what that even means. Um, What they're trying to put their fingers on is, I think, leadership style, what that means. Um, And this article was written by a couple of sociologists, and they say that these styles are essentially the culmination of signals that we send to other people and they fall into two categories, power and attractiveness. Power markers are confidence, competence, charisma, influence on the upside, but on the downside, they can be arrogant, abrasive, intimidating. 
uh, whereas attractiveness markers are agreeable, approachable, likability. Um, but, you know, on the other side, their lack of competence or confidence and submissiveness. Um, so it's a it's funny because I think about it in terms of disc preferences because we do a lot of disc work here at Sky Team. And it also makes me think of of the human element uh, stuff around what are our, our triggers around competence, confidence, and likability. And because uh, all those words were, were in here. And so it's interesting because basically it says the things that we talk about all the time. We lean on the things that come naturally and we have to stretch into the things that don't come so easily. And sometimes that just takes more energy and intention. And we talk a lot about intentionality in, in our work and making that choice and doing those things is, is not always easy, but, but sometimes it pays off. And they told a story in there about uh, Vince Lombardi who, and he coached a football team, Ruby, what team did he coach? The Packers. <laughs> and it was funny. He, before he was the coach of the Packers, he was the offensive coordinator for the Giants and the players did not like him. They said that he was loud and arrogant and they called him little Mussolini, which I thought, wow, that's pretty rough. Um, <laughs> and, but he got the feedback and they were like, they told him, you know, Hey dude, I don't think you're, they didn't say this, but this is how I would say it. Your intention and your impact here are not aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, so he shifted. He took a more blended approach and kind of took the heat down on those power markers and turned up his, his attractiveness markers by looking to connect. In disc world, he became less D and more S, right? Mm-hmm. And just tried to meet those players where they, where they were. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. It's again, just another take on a lot of these things that we know, but I love hearing it told with different words in, in a different framework than the ones that I always lean on. Um, Cause it makes me think about flexing those things in a different way. There's a bunch of quotes in there from Amy Cuddy, whom you all know. I love, I'm a fanboy of Amy Cuddy. I, swooned at her book signing in Boulder a few years ago. <laughs> she signed my book and she touched my hand and I didn't wash it for a week. Amy, if you're out there, <laughs> there's still a chance. <laughs> Sorry, Laurie, she's on my laminated card. All right. <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I want to just kind of open it up to the floor here. You know, has anyone used this power and attractiveness marker settings for defining leadership style. And then I want Robert to weigh in on, on how that aligns with, with his model for leadership style. So Eric, I just looked at the article briefly. Um, and there's something in here that I, I love it that it said, it, it says it's important to understand that style is distinct from personality. Mm-hmm. The latter is immutable. It's who you are on the inside side. Style is best described by what you do, how often and when. Choice. And I love about when I talk to people that I'm coaching, it's like, I, I want more of you in the world. Like, I want to see you come out of your shell and show your personality and who you are. Because those are the gifts that you bring to the, the world. And we need to adjust our style. 
-hmm. given the people that we're interacting with and the work that we're getting done. So I love that it's called out in this article. It's like, it's, we need to balance both as leaders because we need to be vulnerable and really show who we are and what we believe and, and be with people. And Mm -hmm. we also need to adjust our style. So I think that's really, that's what stood out to me in the article. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. It makes me think Ruby of, you know, those leaders who they're kind of the, my way or the highway, you know, take it or leave it kind of leaders. They're like, well, this is just who I am. And, you know, they, they get their, their Myers-Briggs or their disc and they go, well, it's just because I'm a D or an I'm an INTJ, you can suck it and deal with it. Right. Um, versus trying to connect with your, with your folks on a, on a human level. And, you know, I think in the research and work that we've done over the last 10 years, we've learned that it's those relationships that are the primary driver of happiness, engagement, and productivity at work. And if the leader of the team isn't modeling those relationship building behaviors, those flexing behaviors, well, nobody else is going to do it. Morag and I used to work in an organization that was a very, you know, frat boy, A-type driver, you know, pain is rewarded kind of culture. And everybody just tried to out-pain each other. And it wasn't fun. And none of these flexibility markers were modeled. And so it didn't happen, right? I mean, it it started at the lowest levels in the organization. And by the time those guys Mm -hmm. got promoted to management level jobs, they were already modeling the bad behavior of the leaders that preceded them. And that's, that's always, you know, my soapbox about culture, you know, and that the highest level leaders in the organization are, are going to set the stage for what's normal, what's acceptable, what's what's um, encouraged. And so when you have an organization where the highest levels of leadership are just, I'm a D, so suck it, right? Like <laughs> that's gonna, you know, completely permeate the the culture and the values and, and what's rewarded and, and all of that. So I, Ruby, I love how you pulled that out, that personality is different than leadership style and I think when you have people that are stuck in that whole, this has always worked for me, it's fine, right? Everybody can adjust to me because, you know, I'm not going to do it differently. I think if you really peel that back to say, well, what keeps you up at night or what challenges are you facing or where do you think people could be more productive? Like kind of get to their pain points and back into it to say, I wonder if (laughs) a modification in you could actually create a modification in these results that are keeping you up at night. Right. And so trying to back into it through what's in it for them. Right. It's, it reminds me of Bill Treasurer's comment last week when we were doing the article and we used the excerpt from his, a leadership kick in the ass book. And and his last thing, things to pay attention to as leader was most of your problems are probably about you. So get in there and and address that stuff. I love it. I love it. Well, that's a good segue. Um, I want to get back to the leadership style question because I have so much to ask uh, Bob here about, about his assessment and how he came to write this book, but let's formally transition into that space. Bob, welcome. And my first question for you is I'm imagining that as a young child, you didn't set out to be a leadership development expert, high dollar executive placement dude. Um, that's not what you imagined you'd be. How did you get here 
And how did you find yourself this subject matter expert, author, just all around awesome dude? You know, Eric, you're sparking an idea for a new book. I think what we should figure for everyone is what was your childhood dream? Because what I was thinking as you said it is, oh, astronaut. Okay. You know, so, yeah. so you know, for everybody, like, what, what was it? Uh, fireman, doctor, uh, whatever. But, um, yeah, it was not it, – it didn't have anything to do with whatever. Um, uh, but thank you all. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I guess the starting point, if I, I go back to the HBR article, which is we went in a completely different direction from what they were talking about. What we're mm -hmm. trying to get at were four things closely related, which are process, approach, system, and style. Mm -hmm. And the shorthand was style because it's like, does the world need another acronym? <laughs> we were already introducing an acronym because the four styles that we identified are fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Those are fab. That's fabs. And, <laughs> and we knew throughout the book it was going to be called fabs because you, you got to have a shorthand. And, and the assessment we're launching is, is called fabs leadership assessment. But it is, if anything has inspired us, it is much more to the cognitive side if mm -hmm. if you're familiar, I'm sure some of your your folks and you guys are familiar with Colby. Mm -hmm. And Colby was the first cognitive profile, the instinctive, intuitive way you approach work. Mm -hmm. So so that was a guiding light. Um, what we're trying to get at in terms of the shorthand style around process approach system was this observation of exceptional leaders. So in our work, we, we've been approached by about 7,000 executives, and that's a lot of people. And, yeah. you know, if it was a line, you know, waiting to play some of your guitars, that's about four miles long. Um, <laughs> and, and the majority of those executives in 50 countries, and the majority of those executives, our observation was that they were experiencing leadership journeys and careers that were okay, mm. but you wouldn't call them remarkable. Okay. And that was kind of tragic. And the flip side was that if you just looked at the top three, four, five percent, remarkable leaders. And, and because we have this ringside seat, when organizations call us and we match, we're there all the time. We're talking to the boards, the owners, how are they doing? And, and it's overwhelmingly successful. And we're like, well, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. And we spotted these four different patterns, which we labeled fixer, artist, builder, strategist. So the impetus for all of this was, if boy, if we could talk to people earlier in their career journey or earlier in their leadership journey, mm. we would want to get across a very clear message, which I can sum it up as do not attempt to be all things to all people. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so obvious, but the majority <laughs> of leaders this is what they do. And if you pointed it out to them, they would deny it, deny it, deny oh, it. All day, and, yeah. And yet there's this vast difference between exceptional leaders that, that show this kind of voice and direction and focus and results mm. and this majority that is mushy and it's not really, there are no real results that are showing up. There's nothing remarkable about it. and and so that was the impetus for doing all of that work. That's interesting to me. And you, you used words, two words that have 
kind of resonated here. Exceptional and remarkable. Um, so when you're looking at these leaders and you found that there's decidedly these two camps, what makes a leader exceptional, exceptional or remarkable? When a leader shows up and you're all experts at this and, and you see this, when a leader shows up and they say, well, this division I was at at this company, when I joined, it was a hundred million. And four years later, we were at 600 million. Um, it is measurable, it is held to account, and it is remarkable. And what you tend to see on the mushier side is, I was at this department and I was there for four years. Like, <laughs> oh, wake me up, you know. And was there anything measurable about it? Fixer, the, the energy behind turnaround. It's when somebody shows up remarkable there, it's, well, um, they were on the brink of, of filing for bankruptcy and I saved 3,000 jobs. And sorry, there are dogs in the background. Yeah, no worries. Um, this is Norman. We were talking about Norman. <laughs> tell, uh, tell everybody Norman's full name, please. Well, or the name Norman of his Instagram has an page. Instagram account that I'm helping with called Norman Clature. <laughs> um, we're starting out. Norman. Norman is the reason. Oh, look at this Lori's back of the puppy there. <laughs> Love your puppy, Lori. Um, uh, Norman is the reason. I'm in Chicago and my wife and I are driving 2,200 miles to California. Why? Because Norman weighs 30 pounds. You can't get him under an airplane seat. And Norman ain't going in a luggage hole. <laughs> it's not happening with Norman. Um, where were we? So, we yeah, I know. I totally derailed you. My fault. So You were speaking of fixers and yeah. the turnaround and how that's marked as exceptional. and Yeah, so so markers for of, of accountability for fixer. And Fixer is a particular leadership style where the market demands success. Artist, it does not. Artist expects failure because culturally that's the way we're wired. And so it tends to be very forgiving. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk is the standout artist of the age and <laughs> he screws up 10 times a day. He launched a he new tweeted. feature today and killed it in an hour. And, you know, if you were a normal executive at a public company, it's just, it's inconceivable. Mm -hmm. Fixer doesn't get that slack fixer has to come in and every time must be successful or you cannot maintain that as a, a career. It would not, it, it would not hold. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, let's talk about that. So fixer, artist, builder, strategist, right? How did you land there? And let's talk about those, each of those four styles and what that means. We got fixer, I think. And now I'm picturing Elon as artist. But sure. So fixer runs into the burning building. Okay. We mean something very specific with this style, which is they need to keep doing that over and over again in their career. Mm. One of the executives we interviewed, he he sparked this when he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and the company isn't broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And we interviewed a lot of leaders for the book. And when we we had a set process of not trying to bias answers to questions. So it was later in the interview when we would say, this is the theory, this is the thesis, these four styles. And we would kind of taunt the fixer leaders by telling them that quote, because it sounds a little mm -hmm. off to a non-fixer. Every fixer to a man and woman would say, well, what's the matter with that? <laughs> Which is like, do you understand your wiring is different? Anyway, artist is the leadership style that views the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. Elon's the standout example, but, you know, 
this style is present in all leaders. It's not necessarily dominant. Sure. Um, it is the person in your organization who is the renegade, the outsider. They do not fit in. They are disagreeable. They cannot stop thinking of new things. One of the, the executives we interviewed, he was a key guy on Andy Grove's team at Intel. Andy okay. Grove, the standout yeah. CEO for Intel. And Andy called this guy his wild duck. And what he said, <laughs> if you can imagine all of these you know, chip-making semiconductor execs, we're talking engineering to the core. Yeah, And that can lead to a whole lot of yes people in the room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and Andy said, you have to have this disagreeable guy, he called him as wild duck. And, and you had to have that energy balancing against mm -hmm. builder. Everybody in business wants to be a builder. We get that. What we mean by builder is it's a particular kind of energy that needs to take a product or service from small or a team or a client to scale. And generally you will see builders that when they reach that point, they leave. If it's an IPO, they will leave and they will start all over again. If it was client or, or division, they will move to something new. It is an energy that needs linear, one thing at a time, hit scale, move on. Strategist is the one of the four that needs scale. And so this is the person who is in a leadership role in a very complex or large organization. The language between these four is very different. When mm -hmm. you talk to a strategist leader, what you're gonna hear them talk about their career, the leadership journey is mentoring, being mentored, gratitude towards an organization, even, mm -hmm. even gratitude to people who are no longer there. You hear about cross-training, you hear about longevity. You never hear that from fixers, artists, and builders. Right. Totally different mindset. Interesting. The mantra for a strategist, it's cadence. It is this heartbeat of an organization. The mantra for fixer, it's velocity. Mantra for artist, it's creation. Mantra for builder, it's market. Builders are obsessed with market domination. And once they've got it, and it doesn't mean world domination. Like I've been in Boston a lot this year. There is a bakery there that's to die for. <laughs> I've never seen in any other city. They have great loca locations all over Boston. There is a builder at the heart of it who wants to dominate Boston. It's called, I always pronounce this wrong, Tate, T-A-T-T-E. Mark mm. just put a message out there. You're in Boston. <laughs> you got to go to a Tate bakery. But it's nowhere else. Interesting. Mm. That's Interesting. a builder. That's a builder. That's a builder. Uh, so how do you determine someone's leadership style? Well, for a lot of people, when they hear what, what I just did. They go, like, oh, I think I'm a this. Most, most people start identifying instantly. Um, we're going to put out a free assessment. Um, I will admit selfishly, part of it is to try to put science behind what I'm saying. Because totally. we... We have said things, for example, fixer is a linear strategy. Every fixer is successful you talk to, they don't fix two companies at once. Mm -mm. It's mm -hmm. very linear. When you talk to an artist leader, one of the guys we interviewed, he almost started jumping off of his seat when I said, do you need to work on more than one project at once? <laughs> now, this is a guy who simultaneously launched a business in Rwanda to solve genocide. Wow. To get Rwanda past genocide by creating 
a generation of entrepreneurs at the same point running a marketing services company with hundreds of employees growing fast. The same point, the chairman of the Lyric Opera in Chicago, the head of the, he just, it's an endless list and he needs it. Wow. This is why when Elon bid on Twitter, we, we started <laughs> writing things to say, anyone who thinks that the reason this shouldn't occur is because he's overtaxed, you don't know artist energy. That won't be the reason there will there could be failure. <laughs> There are other reasons. I was going to say, he's running a great car company. He he lets the person running his space company do wonderful things. And he will systematically burn Twitter to the ground if he wants to right now, because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's all up in it. And it's, it's, I get it though, right? To your point, those people, those people, they can't, they don't do linear. They don't think linear, right? It's not how they do anything in their lives. Can't. So I, I totally get that. And, that and the artist energy, by the way, the, the way we put it in the book is artist energy is to the artist's peril. I mean, I am strongly wired as artist energy. It's not always great because I'm not the best person at operations in my company. A lot of artist kind of energy is at risk of career and reputation and all that because you're driven by a particular need and it, it's a compulsion. It's very different, for example, like the way that a fixer tends to grow up. A yeah. fixer grows up in an organization. They, they start undifferentiated. They're a smart person and they're just doing great in the role. And somebody there says, you know, we have this person say is in, is in Colorado and they say, you know, we got this division over in London and they're screwing up. And, and they say, Lori's bright. Let's go send Lori in because it's impossible and she'll probably screw it up, but you never know. <laughs> Lori goes over to London and she crushes it. The thing that happens in Lori's brain when she crushes it is, I need to do it again. Mm. It becomes like an adrenaline fix. And Lori going back to steady state business no longer works for Lori. Mm. And so it becomes for the fixer this, this like adrenaline rush to keep doing it. Mm. It's very different from the other energies, the other styles. It's funny. It's I, I. It's funny you picked Lori for that. I can actually see Lori in that mindset, the the fixer mindset. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, you, you you've got this this framework, and I love I love me a good framework. Um, how can leadership style or the actions that a leader take in this this connotation here? How can they make or break business? Well, it's a great question. When we, when we posed this, for example, in all the interviews, and we said, we have this idea, fixer artist, builder, strategist. One of the leaders, incredibly successful real estate guy who then founded a network some of you may have heard of called Tiger 21. It's ultra wealthy people and it's around the world. His name is Michael Sonnenfeld. Michael Sonnenfeld. Michael said, you know, as you're saying this, he said, it occurs to me, I was an investor in a business and it was in trouble. And when it was in trouble, this was the most phenomenal CEO. He said, but the, then when all the problems were solved, he wasn't such a good leader anymore. Right. And so uh, the, the title was very intentional, the book, Right Leader, Right Time, which is there are cycles that companies go through. Yes. And an example that has been in the news occasionally is Peloton or Peloton, you know, mm -hmm. the bike. 
wonderful founder energy, builder, you know, advancing to strategist, made a decision in COVID to build a million square foot uh, manufacturing plant in the US, no more outsourcing anywhere. It's like, you just wonder, did someone on the board ever say, you know, we had this jump during COVID. Do you wonder after this vaccine that maybe the opposite is possible? Right. And so, so there it would have been interesting if somebody would have said, you know, we could really use a fixer in here. You've done great, really could use fixer energy in here, which did eventually come in. The stock price is in the toilet and remains to be seen what is going to happen. But clearly it is a case where there are all these kinds of cases where yeah. you look at it and say, you know, could have run its course. Hey, Robert, I have a question for you. So <clears throat> these four different categories and their energies, to your to the point you just made, is there any of them that lean more into potentially self-awareness of maybe I'm not the right person at the right time to be leading this kind of problem who, who invite in different things or is it, is it the kind of the headstrong, I can, I can do anything kind of, you know, well, mindset. Laura, you're asking a great question. And, and one of, so we, we identified these four styles and you could drive a truck through the differences, but we also saw these three commonalities or pillars, as we said in the book, excuse me, one of them was collaboration on steroids. Mm. What happens with a lot of leaders who are exceptional is they become very confident. And, and if it's authentic confidence, then it is that the contributions of other people on the team are just as valid, if not more so. Yeah. One of the psychologists we interviewed for the book, he said, you need to be spiky. And what he meant is if you were looking at a graph of all the qualities, skills, and abilities that everyone's bringing to a team, None of us bring them all. Right. What is necessary is to be accretive to the team. And we meant accretive in the real sense of, of adding measurably and accountably to a team. And so forming a great team is that that leader needs to be accretive. It didn't always used to be that way. You think of a lot of managers in a pre-technology era, you know, going around, how are you doing today? And how are you doing today? And they're measuring manually. There's now so much technology that is automatically kind of measuring people, that that kind of rope manager role is gone. And so, so leadership is now called on that really needs to be held to account as being accretive to the teams that they're on. Mm -hmm. now, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that, but that's something that could be layered over any of those types, but maybe missing from any of those types. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, one of the other commonalities, the way we phrase it is um, uh, leaders who don't hide. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I can illustrate it best with a negative, um, which <laughs> is uh, Wells Fargo. They used to have this practice of what they called cross-selling. If you had a credit card, they wanted you to have a mortgage. If you had a checking account, they wanted right. Well, you know, they played this up quarterly earnings calls for years. And then it turned out that millions of those accounts were fiction. Mm -hmm. So they've hauled the CEO in front of the Senate. And he got asked these questions. And it was, you mentioned this on these calls for all of these years, and they turned out to be false accounts. They were completely made up. What of it? You know, why'd you make those decisions? And what the CEO said literally was, it wasn't me. It was the board. 
Now, anybody oh. that knows anything about business knows <laughs> that's not the function of a board. Ever. Boards are for governance. <laughs> Boards are for figuring out the CEO. They are not for tactical marketing plans. Mm-hmm. No. Not in a big public company like that. Mm-hmm. That's hiding. Yeah. And so, so we're very big on this, this concept of accountability and integrity as mm-hmm. leading to, to people who are out there and saying, yes, hold me to account. So I'm curious, Robert, what do you think that CEO, the Wells Fargo person, what do you think their style is? It's funny because he was banned um, from banking forever more after that. <laughs> and I just saw in some publication where they quoted him you know, on what do you think of integrity? I was like, are you kidding me? Did any of you read? Did you Google anything about this person? Um, you know, there's a lot of things around style that we're not trying to say. We're not trying to pigeonhole anybody into saying yeah. you're just this one thing. Yeah. All leaders are a combination of the four. The, the, the thing we likened it to was DNA. You know, mm-hmm. DNA, it's just four nucleotides. There's just four proteins that make up your Aunt Mary and you and me and Norman and um, <laughs> sorry, Lori, what was your puppy's name? Wait, Lori. Maggie. Maggie. Oh, the other Peter. Oh, Peter. 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 So, so, but it's infinite combination of the four that makes up all flora and fauna, right? Yeah. And so we're thinking, well, that's the way it is with leadership. It tends to be that exceptional leaders tend to double down more, though. That, that as they go through their careers and they find the success and they see, you know, the fixer wiring kicking in or the artist, that in some ways it's a form of acceptance and embracing who you are. It's not easy. I will tell you that for my wiring for a lot of years, I just thought I was screwed up. Because <laughs> I was not necessarily succeeding. I was just wildly creative. And, and so there, part of this is coming to a point of kind of embracing who you are, and there are other tools. I mentioned Colby. I'm a huge fan of Colby, and I found that very validating as a a measure in terms of oh, this is the reason I'm wired this way. I think it's it's always so interesting to get to a point in your career where <clears throat> a lot of people kind of fall into their career, whether they go into higher education or they don't, or it's just a matter of whatever part-time job they got that turned into them being the assistant manager that turned them into being the, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you start with some academic path that puts you into accounting and then you realize, God, I hate accounting. What the (laughs) hell, you know? And so, so I think it's that interesting um, phase in a career where you, you start to kind of figure out a little bit more of your wiring and try to understand like, okay, why is it painful for me to do this kind of work every day versus maybe some people realizing this comes really naturally to me every day. And so being able to get better alignment. And I think all all of these tools that are out there, these personality assessments, these leadership style things, these aptitudes, it, it it just helps you kind of focus in on don't work against what you naturally are, right? You have to be able to be flexible. You have to have self-awareness and emotional intelligence, and you can grow in all of those things. But there's no reason to cram a round peg into a square hole because you're mm-hmm. just going to suffer <laughs> and everyone around you is going to suffer. And so it's 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 fun when you have the opportunity to, to see people go go through that to say, OK, now I get it. This is not where I should be spending my time. And, and I would imagine that people that are these 
you know, super impactful leaders have figured out how to align. They've yeah. they've put themselves in the right place yes. for their superpower to launch them, right? Yeah. You're you're right on the money. And in the book, we used a phrase highest and best use. And mm-hmm. and and what we would say about exceptional leaders is they tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. It's very easy to say it is so hard to do earlier in your career. You need the yeah. job, you need the money, and you just have to do it. And, and I get that. It's I'm not trying to make light of that. But what happens is, you know, we're all carving our particular path, and it becomes more discernible. And and a successful path is that you start becoming more intentional as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny. I'm going to throw you a curveball question because, you know, we were talking about the styles before in the pre-show and you you asked us what we thought we were and I, I gave an answer. And it's funny because I've been wrestling with that answer as I've been listening to you talk. <clears throat> I'm a disc C INTJ. I'm supposed to be a builder, a strategist, something data driven, very empirically clean, but I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. And I have a ton of artist energy. I just have imposter syndrome about my quality of output in the artist energy space. So Mm -hmm. I pull it back into Mm -hmm. this other space. So as I'm listening to you talk, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I wonder how many people know their preferences, the things that come naturally to them, right? They're either big picture people or detail people. They're either task focused or relationship focused, but they, they have a call, right? It's like, it makes me think of Kylo Ren in the star Wars sequels. When he says, I keep hearing the call to the light. Um, he's a dark guy. He's the villain. He's the arch enemy in this, in this story arc, but he can't, he can't let go that he might be a good guy too. And I can't, my INTJC self can't let go that I might be good at that if I just let myself be the artist. Mm-hmm. Do you ever talk with leaders that struggle, like sort of feeling caught between what their natural preferences are and, and what their, their energy, their drive is left untethered? I think the struggle is ongoing for all of us. Um, I am strongly wired artist energy in my work. And 30 years ago, I started painting. Well, Love it. 30 years, I finally have a gallery show. It only took 30, 30 years, years to get to that. Overnight point. sensation. <laughs> okay. So, so let's keep out hope for you, you know, that you're going to keep playing on bigger and bigger stages. Because, you know, one, one of the quotes we put in the book, a minister passed away, but he said, just because you have a song to sing doesn't mean you don't have to learn. Doesn't mean you don't have to learn how to sing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that that journey, you you got that journey going. And so you're going to you're, you're going to travel it the way you want to travel it. Mm-hmm. Can I say that you you bring up a great point about passion or what, you know, deeply seated desires and talents that people have. Um, I had a chance to hear one of the top VPs at uh, one of the financial houses. She was here in Denver for a fundraiser and uh, 
not only one of the top females in finance, but also a black female and just delightful to listen to her a few years ago. Maura, you might've been there. I think it, I forget which group it was for um, fundraiser, but um, she hid the fact that her dream was to sing at Carnegie. Mm-hmm. She was a gospel singer. And when she finally made that goal, she shocked everybody in her company because they all said, "What? we had no idea that you said right. they had no idea that she had this dream and that she was pursuing this dream because she felt that it wasn't professional looking. And, you know, the whole point was you bring your whole self to work and you bring everything about you. And it was such a beautiful story, but it was just it was also tragic that she had hit it for so many years and it took her until she had built some credibility within the company to where she felt comfortable that she could share something like that. So we are multifaceted people. Mm-hmm. You know? In, yeah. In honor of gospel singers and preachers everywhere. <laughs> there's an amen for you. <laughs> Eric, you're the best. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. And you know, it, it's interesting Robert, because we talk about this a lot with the clients that we work with, you know, when, when we're doing personality preferences or style or whatever, just like you said, with your framework, we all do all four mm-hmm. all the time, right? We have to, to be successful. Um, there are just things that come more naturally to us. And we tend to gravitate toward those things when, especially when we're we're stressed, when we're under pressure when there are constraints in the machine, like when, when everything is great, it's a whole lot easier to flex out into those other energies and, and, mm-hmm. and meet people where they are, you know, thinking about it from a leadership style perspective. Um, but when things are stressed, we tend to double down on the things that come most naturally to us. What advice do you have to leaders who are stressed? I mean, I think, <laughs> I think about this builder mindset. I, I worked in a lot of startups and it's stressful all the time in a startup. Right. Um, how, what advice do you have for leaders who are under stress or pressure to maintain their sort of ability to flex versus just <clears throat> doing what I call turtling up and pulling everything inside the shell and hunkering down with what comes naturally to them, which is not going to resonate with everybody in the org? One of the, it's a great question. And one of the leaders we interviewed um, when we did. We, we interviewed these champion company founders for the book, How They Did It. And one of the leaders, he had grown a company from three people to 2,000, which amazed me. And it's kind of like, how? Yeah. How? And, and he said, you have to stay at the center. And what he meant by that is, is that there's got to be a core of you that is grounded. And uh, many years ago, I started meditating. Mm. And um, now more than ever, I mean, the average person looks at their phone 200 times a day and email is going to be calling to us nonstop. And so the noise and the distraction is is just an ever present right up to here. And so the first starting point is, I think, for all of us, because we're all facing stress, Mm -hmm. is you internally have to have a mechanism And luckily, there's this thing. And meditation really at its core simply means, you know, give yourself the gift of 90 seconds away from your machines and away from your phone. Sit and notice your breathing. 
-hmm. If you could just notice your breathing for 90 seconds, you will see that there is a change in your, in your mindset. And, you know, that is a thing that you can practice. You can get better at it. You can go longer at it. Um, but I think, I think the thing for all of us is that there's, there's got to be an internal thing going on there mm -hmm. that is keeping you in charge of you. Well, and I, I would wholeheartedly totally agree with that. And I think <laughs> I, maybe I'm biased, right? I'm, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty attached to one of the authors here, but that's, that's the principle of, of why you need a best friend at work and how yeah. to show up as one, because you need a pressure valve. You need somebody who's got your back. You, you need a safe space, even if it's just one other person. And the higher you go in the organization, the harder it is to have friends and have the right boundaries and have the right, you know, um, person in place that can be that for you. But that that's the other thing that I think about is, you know, if I didn't have a safe place to kind of lose my shit when I'm over the edge, um, who knows what happens, right? Yeah. So I think that's a that's another important piece of it. Yeah, I I'll tell you the flip side of it is as well. What I think that is, um, I'm going to read your book. Um, recently, I read another book. If you've heard of Second Mountain, mm -hmm. by yeah. David Brooks, and it is. It's at the point in career where it's no longer about the money, the fame, the power. Mm. It is, it's, it's just meaning. It, it is meaning. And, and I, I'm listening to this as I'm walking around and driving. And these two words, calling and commitment. I love it. Like, like they just like, I, I had this revelation because this, this thing I've been doing around our company and our execs and around leadership and all that. And I just realized Oh my God, I'm committed. Yeah. I mean, this has become a calling that is so beyond the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, we earn a living, but no, that's not what this is about anymore. No. It, it so has this, it's grabbed me as as purpose for my life. Mm -hmm. Yes. That that is just that, you know, if I could do this, you know, God willing, the next 25 years, this is what I'm doing. And um, I think that is the thing that becomes a comfort. Um <laughs> for a lot of us in leadership, because the stress is never going to stop. Yeah. But, you know, if you got that North Star, it makes it a whole lot easier. I love that so much. <clears throat> Ruby and I were talking about this today. Um, I love being in a position in my life and career where I am making the choice to help people make their lives better, make their lives lighter at work. Ruby says it all the time. And I love that. Um, it's, it's part of the, the ally mindset. The, the ally mindset is made up of five practices. And the first is abundance and generosity. And just believing that the world works that way is a fundamental approach to life. And, you know, the more <clears throat> I, I am trying to get books in people's hands, <laughs> not so much because I want to make money on books because anybody that's ever written a book knows you don't make money on books. Watch Robert, look at him right now. He'll tell you straight dope. You do not make money on books. Books cost money. And I'm giving away free books to anybody that buys one and calls me. You get a free book, right? Um, because I believe in what's in the book. And I think the book has the opportunity to make people's lives better. Calling and commitment. I love those things, Robert. And I love, this is the, one of the upsides of being a little more gray than I used to be in the past. Um, 
I don't care so much about the money because if I focus on the thing that I'm called and committed to do, the money comes, yep. there'll be money, right? It'll be fine. Um, I, I love that. I want to open it up to questions. I know we're running tight on time. Anybody have questions for Robert about these leadership styles, his, his assessment? I know everybody wants to get in there and take it. So, you know, you're going to get some science out of this group, Robert. Any questions for Robert before we move into our funny things, good feels, and go have some dinner? When's the assessment going to be available? Yeah, because you're fired up, right? <laughs> November 20. Ooh, oh, days. Right on. Awesome. I signed up, so I'm on your mailing list now. So, Oh, thank you. As soon yep. as uh, as soon as I get the yeah, the, the more brutal that, feedback, uh, the better when when you see it. I mean, it's really, you know, to help just figure out what style do you think you are. Awesome, I love it. We'll we'll be on the lookout for that, and we'll share it with uh, the folks on the network. Try to get you some more data points. I know what that's like. We've built assessments in the past and tried to get as many data points in there so we could validate the wording and the questions and the outputs and yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lift. Put a link in the chat and you can sign up for a notice oh, yeah. when the assessment's available. Thank you, Lori. It is rightleader.com. So that that brings me to my last question for you, Robert. How do we find you if people want to learn more beyond rightleader.com that Lori just dropped into the chat? Mm -hmm. uh, the easiest way is interimexecs.com and and all that, that'll get to me. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a fantastic conversation. I loved it. I, I always love a new framework and I'm looking forward to using the FABS model and uh, using that as a launch point for, for more conversations. His name is Robert Jordan. His book is called Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. Funny things. Um, you know, this is just shit that makes me laugh. Funny thing, number one, this is true. And anybody that's worked in corporate America for more than five minutes knows that as of the 1st of November, the let's circle back after the holidays season has officially begun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I love this one too. People feel, you know, talking about leadership styles and our, our preferences and tendencies and, you know, those socially connected givers. Oh my God. Thanks for ending the meeting four minutes early and giving me some time back. Now I can finally pursue my passions. Right. <laughs> thanks for the four right. minutes. I'll pee. Okay. <laughs> oh, funny thing. Number three, cut my finger while carving a pumpkin with my 12 year old daughter. And she told me to save the blood in case we needed it for decorations. I said, okay, sweetie, and took garlic to bed to, with me. Because, <laughs> Oh, my. This one, you have to be of a certain age to get, but if you ever used Internet Explorer, this is the best Halloween costume I've ever seen. Oh, that's pretty good. It is good. Dude, is Internet Explorer. <laughs> Keep, keeping on the technology front, you know, we've all done the online shopping, but sometimes the AI doesn't get it right. Hi, Walmart. I don't think mushrooms will work. Edit your substitutions. 
Tampax Pearl tampons, unavailable substitution, whole white mushrooms, the exact same price. Kind of the same color. The the packaging is the same color. Maybe it. Yeah. I'm worried about expansion and lack thereof. (laughs) Whoa! Hey, there it is. My my favorite. Keep rolling. (laughs) My favorite funny thing today. My daughter was doing her history homework and asked me what I knew about Galileo. I said he was a poor boy from a poor family. (laughs) Those are music lyrics, I would imagine. (laughs) That is clean. Oh, Laurie, even I knew that one. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Morag, you need to come on camera and give give Laurie the shame look. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Bohemian Rhapsody. All right, today's good feel story. It's a meta story. We talk about Steve Hartman all the time. This is about Steve Hartman. In this week's On the Road, CBS's Steve Hartman finds that some of life's greatest lessons just can't be taught from a textbook. This week, I made a surprise visit to the Alhambra Traditional School in Phoenix. And although I anticipated a warm welcome, I was completely unprepared. Hello, class. For this. I mean, good gosh. It's not like I'm the rock. I'm a lump. But our connection clearly runs deep. Thanks to Mr. Derek Brown, who for more than a decade has been showing his fifth graders one of my stories every day. How do you justify it? Nothing else matters. Math, English, reading, writing, nothing matters if the kids aren't grounded and good. And to that end, I knew I was going to get a hook. He says the Americans we meet on the road teach character better than he ever could. It's just to make you like a better person. And how's it working? It was working good. It made me more nicer to my little brother. It made you nicer to your little brother. Yeah, I mean, I was I consider my career a success. Yeah, (laughs) it is a success. (laughs) And this isn't just happening in Phoenix. We have learned of other teachers across the country bringing on the road into the classroom. And the schools you see here are just the schools we know about. We estimate there are thousands of others, which is why to bring them all together to share lesson plans and strategies, we have started a Facebook group called Kindness 101 for Teachers. If you know a teacher who might be interested, Mr. Brown says, please tell them about it. They have to let their kids see this. Kids have to connect to these. My stomach hurts, Mr. Brown. No, it doesn't. You're feeling. Lights, please. And when that happens, he says the possibility opens wide for kids to go from watching goodness to emulating it. I'd like to see him act it out so that maybe one of my kids could be the topic of one of your stories. That would be the ultimate. For both of us. That's Steve Hartman. So cool. the- Isn't that mm-hmm. cool? Mm-hmm. So I cool. thought that's why I share those stories with you guys every week. Because mm-hmm. we all cry a little bit and we all we all believe, even if it's just for a minute, that humanity is going to be okay. That's it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail mm-hmm. is don't lick that. <laughs> it's a riff on the green frog. It's got one shot of green apple schnapps. The National Park Service had to issue a statement <laughs> to keep people from licking this toad. In the top picture, 
One shot of coconut mm-hmm. rum. That's a Sonoran desert toad. Spoiler alert, it's poisonous. One shot of vodka. Uh, 5-MEO-DMT is the hallucinogenic that has this species endangered in New Mexico because people are collecting it and harvesting that liquid from it so they can smoke it. Yeesh. I was just about to ask if we just made that legal in Colorado yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) This is where we are, people. We're licking frogs and issuing statements to not lick frogs. (laughs) But I have a clarification. Yeah? It's poisonous if you get sick when you eat it. It's venomous if it bites you and you get sick when it eats you yeah (laughs) Yeah, we had a great debate on those two words when one of our texas facilities recently captured a snake in their um high-tech science lab Mm, yes and most of us went uh it's texas (laughs) oh boy (laughs) so we're the compassionate hr team here (laughs) HR, the people, people. I think that's <laughs> that's where we are. Thanks to Robert Jordan for being here today. Thanks, Thank everybody. Lovely to see awesome. you. You guys are great. Go get some dinner. We'll see you next week. No, we'll see you in three weeks with Thais Gibson. November 30th. 1130. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>